I believe that honor should be given where honor is due, and I am very grateful that we have an incredible enough team that even when something throws us a curveball, we just sit back and hit it right back up the middle. If you've never played baseball, you don't understand how hard that is, but if you have, it's more difficult than it sounds. Last week, for the first time in his tenure in ministry, our in-house pastor, Blaine Francois, had to call in at the last minute and say, listen, I cannot make it. I cannot shake this sickness. I cannot come and I cannot preach, but our student connections pastor was ready to roll, even though I didn't find out until after the service, and he shared a great word last week. And behind every great man of God is a woman that holds him up when nobody's looking. So thank you to my my sister who let the light shine in her face at two o'clock in the morning and slept right through it, and and uh, and and even was willing to walk, was willing to walk through some of the things that that he shared and and that God's grace was sufficient even in the midst of his own struggle and some of the things that we all go through. But I want you to understand, even though he shared that time of kings and and when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, we will have less time for the things that we're not supposed to be doing. And David still went through some consequences. Okay, So in that season of life, there are things that we can avoid. There are seasons of life that we can avoid if we will be obedient. Now, there's some things that we can't control. Some things we're going to go through whether, uh, whether we're doing right or whether we're following Jesus or not. Those things are outside of our control. But there are some consequences that we do not have to go through if we will be faithful and follow Jesus There are some consequences that we do not have to endure because we make the right choices. Now, I'm a bottom line kind of a guy. Um, That's actually what I really like about the Bible. If you ask me, what is my interpretation of Scripture? I'm going to simply ask you, what does it say? And whatever it says, that's how I feel about it. That's what I believe. It's just a, a bottom line for me. I'm just kind of a concrete bottom line kind of a guy. Now, there's also the beat around the bush type of people, okay? These type of people, they want to know why. They want to know when. They want to know what. They want to know how you felt about why, when, and what, and what you were thinking that caused you to feel about that. They want your emotion, your details, your feelings, and every single situation and circumstance that led you up to that place. They're just kind of the beat around the bush, and and one is not better than the other, Um, but most of the time, a bottom line type of person will will probably marry a beat around the bush type of person, okay? Because two bottom line people, if, if two bottom line people marry, they're never going to have any fun. They're only going to do, 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 and they're not going to enjoy their lives a whole lot. It's just be about concrete, bottom line, let's get it done, never look around, never look back, just keep your eyes ahead. But two beat around the bush people, if two beat around the bush people marry, then they'll just run around in circles around the bush over and over and over again until there's nothing left of the bush but footprints. They'll never get anything done, Okay. So most of the time, if you're a beat-around-the-bush person, you're probably more connected to bottom-line people, and, and bottom-line people are more naturally drawn to beat-around-the-bush people. It just works well. You're not better or worse than the other one. It just is what it is. I believe that God has a bottom line. God has a bottom line. And I actually think that Paul told us what the bottom line was. When he said, we were created in the image and for the glory of God. That is our purpose. That is God's bottom line for humanity. That we would read the Bible and do what it says. Bottom line. The bottom line of God. And he has a, we know the plans that he has for us. are plans to give us hope and a future. Plans to prosper us and all those things. But if God has a bottom line then it would just go to assumption that so does Lucifer. So does Satan. So does the enemy. So today, I want to take the time that we have together to evaluate what is Satan's bottom line? What is Satan's greatest desire? I'm going to give you two passages of Scripture, Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, and Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14. And Ezekiel 28. So if you'll start reading with me in verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 14. The prophet Isaiah speaking to the king of Babylon at the time. But 
honestly really more speaking to the spirit behind the king, okay? It's speaking to the spirit behind the king. And that's going to be, I'm going to prove that in just a few minutes. But the spirit behind the king, he says, your pomp or your arrogance, your attitude has brought you down to Sheol. Listen, before you ever have a bad action, you probably have a bad attitude. Before we ever fall short in action, we probably fell short in attitude. So if we sense our attitude being out of place, then we may need to make that adjustment to our attitude so that our action doesn't end up being exposed in front of everybody. But your pomp is brought down to Sheol. The sound of your stringed instruments... Just highlight that, remember that. I'm going to come back to that before the end of the service. Your stringed instruments. This individual was created with stringed instruments. The maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. Tell your friend, thank you for bringing me to church today. This is an incredible scripture that the pastor is speaking over us. Verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down. To the ground. Notice the verbiage. Cut down. Fallen from heaven. Cut down to the ground. For who weakened? You weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart. Now watch this. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. On the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like God. I will be like God. Okay? This is what Lucifer is saying, the spirit behind the man. But verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol. You shall be brought down to Sheol. Okay. Number one, answer this question. What was, what was Satan's greatest desire? In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It means the earth and the heavens were created. Okay, But verse 2 says the earth was formless and void. Even though it was created, it was still formless and void. The darkness covered the face of the earth, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. Most theologians believe that it's between verse 1 and verse 2 that Satan, Lucifer, and a third of heaven was cast out of the heavens that was created onto the earth that was created, and that was why it was formless and void. Lucifer was cast out of the heavenly lights and into the utter darkness of the core of the earth, the formless, void, darkness-covered earth. Okay, Why was he cast into the void? Why was Satan cast out of heaven? Well, let's go back to the five I will ascension statements. Satan said, and and according to the prophet Isaiah, Satan said, I will ascend to the highest. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. So he's saying, listen, I will sit Upon the mount of the congregation, the children of God will be the place that I sit upon. That is where I'm going to go. That is what I'm going to do. Their praises will come to me, and that's where I will sit. I will sit on the mount of the congregation of the people. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like God. I will be like the Most High, but then notice God's response in verse 15. You will be cast down. You will be brought down to Sheol. You will be brought down to the lowest depths of the pit. The New Testament says it this way. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted, but whoever exalts himself will be humbled, will be brought low, will be brought down. Now, many will say that, that we have been born with what they call an Adamic nature, okay, or the nature of Adam, the nature of Adam. I actually don't believe that we were born with an Adam-like nature, an Adamic nature, because the nature of Adam was just disobedience. The nature of Adam was actually just trickery. He was just fooled into following something that he shouldn't have followed. 
And it was actually the woman that he was following, okay? The woman came, and she was tricked by the serpent because here's what the serpent said. And it's the same thing that the enemy still says today. Um, Did God really say that? This is for all the beat around the bush types. This is, and, and maybe even for the bottom liners, okay? Did, did God really say that? Is that really what he meant when he said that you should not do this? Is that, did he really mean for the Ten Commandments to still be applicable today? Did he really mean that if you do this list of things in Galatians chapter 5, did he really mean that if you still engage in drunkenness and debauchery and revelry and the cares of this life over the concerns of the heart of the Father, did he really mean that those people will not inherit the kingdom of God? Can't I just get a little bit of the word? Is it just a little bit like everybody else? Does God really mean what he says my little girl is still trying to discern. She's almost eight years old. And, and we will, when we do devotions together, which we don't do enough and we need to do more often, but hey, we're human too. So we're all in this thing together. We're trying to be better together as we go. And we will spend at the end, we'll try to hear, okay, what is God saying to you? And, and Adeline will try to hear, what is God saying to me? And she's learning how to hear that, that still, small voice, that, that whisper in the wind, that voice of God in her heart. But listen, if God's already said it in his word, then we don't have to try to hear that still, small voice. We can just do what he's already said, and we don't have to try to hear something new. In fact, God will probably speak more to our spirit if we would just get in his word more often and do what he's already said, then he may begin to give us something new. But you can't get begin to get something new when you're not doing what he's already spoken we got to do what he's spoken and then he can speak something else we're still working on the first part and that's okay but when we're born we're not born into an Adamic nature we're not born into the nature of man we're born into a satanic nature that Lucifer he was the original sin Adam was not the original sinner in fact neither was the woman it was Lucifer and a third of heaven that, that deceived, that, that dealt in ways that they shouldn't have dealt, that was the first prideful glorying of himself. He is the one that said, look at me. Look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I have. Look what I'm able to give. We get offended whenever we talk about giving or doing or, or something. I get offended when somebody asks me to do something for them. Like, well, you do something for yourself. I got plenty of things to do. I ain't been sitting around. My wife will call me at the office. What are you doing? Man, I was just staring at the wall, hoping somebody would call and ask me because I'm getting bored sitting here watching this wall. No, but we we get so consumed with our own desires and our own tasks and our, our own objectives and our own glory even sometimes. And that is, in and of itself, not a God-like nature. Well, Okay, man, that's kind of heavy. So you're saying if, I, if I'm focused on myself, that's a satanic nature. Well, I don't have that. I don't have a satanic nature. Okay, let me ask you a question. Whenever you take a group picture, who is the first person that you look for? Yeah, and if it's a good picture of you, it don't matter what everybody else is doing. That's the one we hanging on the wall. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We were just at my in-law's house for whatever it was for, I think right at the at Father's Day. Um, that afternoon we were there, and, and we saw this picture on the wall. It was a picture of a wedding that I had done for my sister-in-law. I officiated. I know I was just in it. Somebody else officiated. But she, we took this big family picture, right? And my mother-in-law has this picture hanging on the wall. Not the groom, but the other brother-in-law was standing like this in the picture, My son had his finger up his nose. My mother-in-law was going, her eyes weren't even open. And yet that is the picture that the bride and groom picked to be the family photo hanging in the wall of the house because they look good in the picture. If we take a family picture, the first thing Megan does is look at how she looks. And if it's pretty of her, it don't matter what's coming out of Gabriel. We hanging that one on the wall, baby. That's what happens. That's not an Adamic nature. That's not an Adam and Eve kind of thing to focus on ourselves. That was happening in heaven before it ever happened on earth. But when we're born again, we become more like Jesus who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Who came not to be served, 
but to serve. Jesus always pointed back to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. And then the Father would point back to Jesus and say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus would point back to the Holy Spirit and say, there's one coming after me that's likened unto myself. He's the comforter. He's the one that's going to empower you. He's the one that's going to make a difference. And then the Holy Spirit spent his entire existence from Genesis to Revelation talking about the Father and the Son and all that they've done and all that they're going to do. There's never a time where you see a self-glorification because self-glory was birthed in Lucifer and given to man, not by God. It's not an Adamic nature. It's a satanic nature. Verse 11 says, the sound of the stringed instruments that was created in him. The sound of the stringed instruments. But even that was going to be brought down. This was a message Not to the man, but to the spirit within the man. In Ezekiel 28, the word of God is spoken to the king of Tyre. And again, it's not being spoken directly to the king and the king alone, but rather the spirit behind the king. The spirit behind the actions of the king. Verse 12 of Ezekiel 28 says, Son of man. And we know that in the New Testament, Jesus was referred to as the Son of Man. So, Son of Man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord, you were the seal of perfection. Now, the king of Tyre wasn't the seal of perfection. Lucifer was the seal of perfection. Full of wisdom and and perfect in beauty. Verse 13, you were in Eden. Who was in Eden? God Adam, the woman, and the serpent. Those are the only people. The king of Tyre wasn't in Eden. But it's speaking to the spirit behind the man. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, all that other stuff, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship. Come on, catch this with me because I'm going to come back. It's really important. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. You were created with stringed instruments. You were created with timbrels, percussion, and pipes or flutes, a wind instrument. It was in you, was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covered. You weren't just the archangel. You weren't just one of the three. You were the anointed of all the archangels. You were the anointed cherub of all who covers. I established you. I, God says, I established you. That's why it's so funny to me when people start praising themselves, when people start giving themselves accolades. And I, I, I'm careful to say this because my brother-in-law knows I don't really like LeBron James anyways, but it is the thing that took LeBron James off the map for me. When you start proclaiming yourself as king, when you hadn't even done anything yet to deserve it, come on, somebody, that's just a really funny example of somebody that begins to give themselves accolades when it's, who gave him his ability? Who gave him his talent? Who gave him his skill? The only reason that we have breath to be alive is because the Spirit of God breathed it in us. You shouldn't get offended when somebody asks you to do something, when somebody asks you to give something. I shouldn't be offended or angered when somebody interrupts my day. It's not me that gave me my time, my talent, or my treasure. It's God that established me, created me, anointed me, and shed his blood for the sake of my sin and my servanthood. So when I have the opportunity opportunity I get to serve I'm not giving anything up I'm giving it back I'm giving it back it's who I am I established you God says I established you you were on the holy mountain of God you walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you This is the original sin. The original sin did not happen in the Garden of Eden. It happened in heaven. This is what it was, verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. We were born... With an Adamic nature. 
But when we're born again, we become like Jesus. There are three archangels in the Bible. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Michael would deliver the answer of prayer. Michael, the archangel Michael, was a representation in Scripture of prayer. You can see in Daniel chapter 10, it would be Michael that would, that would war. By the way, that is your, your weapon of warfare. It's your prayer life. Your, your faith life is a representation of your prayer life. And when you need to war in spiritual warfare, it's not, because, it's not you take up your own weapon and you begin to fight in your own strength. No, it's that you pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you go to Him in an attitude of surrender and prayer and you understand that I may wage a war but the battle belongs to the Lord who has already won the victory for me so I don't fight for it I fight from it that is my prayer and Michael would be the battle in prayer he would be the warrior of prayer he'd deliver that answer to prayer to Daniel Gabriel even the name Gabriel it means messenger of God and Gabriel would be the one that would come and tell the virgin mother that she would bear a child. He would be the, the word of the Lord to the people of God. So Michael represents prayer. And Gabriel represents the word. Every time that we get together, we do three things. Every time that we meet with Jesus. Every time that we come into the presence of God. Really every day that we live, we really just do three things. We pray. and We have that time of prayer. We hear the word of God delivered hopefully well and then every week we do one more thing and it's the most important thing which is why it's the thing that we start with we worship see Lucifer was the anointed cherub covered with stones to reflect the light of God created with with musical instruments in him, created with timbrels and pipes and stringed instruments. He was the worship leader for all of heaven. And worship was supposed to pass through him and go to God. But he, by the abundance of his trading, not just one time, not just because he stumbled in sin one time, but because of the abundance of trading, because he refused to repent. He decided to continue to cover it up instead of confess it. Because he continued in his sin, there no longer remained a sacrifice left. Listen, there's coming a day where, it, it, where if we continue in our sin, there no longer remains a sacrifice left for us. There's coming a day where because of the abundance of our trading, the abundance of receiving God's glory and storing it up for ourselves and not sharing it, not serving with it, not being obedient with it, there's coming a day when just like he had to cast Lucifer out of his throne room, he he will have to cast us out of his throne room because we cannot continue to influence people in the wrong way. So because of the abundance of his trading, the, the taking for God, from God, what was only meant for God. You know why so many mighty men and women of God come tumbling down so quickly? It's because we begin to receive the glory that was only meant for him. And we as a people, we cannot handle what only God deserves. As a people, as his children, we were not created to handle what only God deserves. And when we receive that glory, when we take credit for ourselves, instead of giving it back to God, we begin to operate under the same principle that cast Lucifer out of the kingdom of God. The abundance of taking God's glory and promoting ourselves. Taking God's glory, God's time, God's talent, God's treasure, and spending it on ourselves alone. And eventually God said, enough's enough. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In an instant, he was cast out and cast down. Satan's greatest desire was always to be worshipped. Number two, what is Satan's greatest desire? What is Satan's greatest desire? Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Matthew 4, 8 and 9. The Bible says, again, the devil took him. Him is Jesus. Jesus had been fasting and praying in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. 
So the devil thought, well, he's been alone. He's been away. He hasn't had anything to eat. He hasn't had anything to drink. He's physically weak. Surely I can get to him right now. But what the devil didn't understand is when you're fasting and praying, you may be physically weak, but you're spiritually strengthened. And so Jesus was actually the strongest that he had ever been in his physical existence or his spiritual existence. And the devil picked the wrong time. That means it doesn't matter what you're going through. If you'll take the time to separate yourself from the things of this world and connect yourself to the things of God. What's going on around you even when you're in a dry land? Come on, you don't have to be in a waterfall to be filled with the Spirit of God. You just have to be connected to His presence wherever He is and whatever He has for you. And the enemy may think you're in a weak place and he'll come and attack you, but really you're the strongest that you've ever been because your weakness is perfected in His strength and you've been spending time with Him so you don't get overwhelmed by what the devil has to destroy distract you with again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high there it is again exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory this is so funny to me this would be like my son taking me outside on the roof and telling me daddy look at my house look what I have I'm gonna give it all to you Jesus is like this isn't yours you idiot <laughs> The devil takes him up. He's like, all the kingdoms of this world, all the glory, I'm going to give it all to you. All these things I will give to you if you will, watch this, fall down and worship. See, the devil didn't just want Jesus to worship him. Even Lucifer understood that the only true form of worship was found in expression. It doesn't matter what you think about doing it matters what you do. It doesn't matter what you meant to do. It matters what comes out of you. Now, I'm not saying that it all has to look the same and everybody's got to do the same thing, but worship will look like something. Even Lucifer understood that the only way to truly worship was to do something that showed an expression for that worship. And I've seen a lot of people over the years, and I've even done it myself at times, but but we really, we're worshiping, but we're worshiping in disobedience. Because the Word of God does not recommend that we worship. The Word of God doesn't suggest that we worship. The Word of God states clearly, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Worship Him, praise Him in the sanctuary. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Lift up holy hands in His house. For He is seated upon the praises of His people. So when we worship, we prepare Him a place to come in and sit. Listen, when we don't, we prepare the other a place. We answer that I will ascend upon the congregation. Prophecy by the enemy. Now, I'm not saying you have to, everybody's worship has to look the same, but I am saying that our worship will look like something. My daddy used to, he used to just, we'd go back and forth on this because growing up, I, I wasn't in an atmosphere where I really felt, sensed really the freedom to worship. Now, listen, I went to some churches where it was just, I mean, completely out of control. I mean, you can keep your shoes on and stand still. You ain't got to sprint and trip over people and other things in worship. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about not maintaining order. I'm not talking about being excessively emotional. I'm just talking about expressing your worship in genuine, authentic, worshiping God and spirit and truth. And my daddy would say, Chris, it, God doesn't expect all that. God doesn't expect all that. He doesn't need all that. And to an extent, he was right, except for that time that I read about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of God. And the Bible says that he danced and he praised God with an abandonment. And then somebody said something to him about the way that he was worshiping God. And he looked back at his wife that he probably shouldn't have even been with. That's another sermon for another day. He looked back at her and he said, woman, I love it. He said, if you think that was crazy, I'm going to become even more undignified than this because you're not going to dictate what I do for my daddy. So my daddy would say, Chris, it doesn't take all that. It doesn't, God doesn't expect all that. And then yet, when we went to my baseball games, my daddy would climb the fence if I did something crazy. 
If I did something awesome, if I made a great catch, he'd be screaming his head off and raising his hands and clapping. All the things that God commands in his psalms to do, my daddy would do at my baseball game. But he didn't do it in God's house. Do we worship our children more than we worship Jesus? Have we come to a place where children and and their accolades, are we teaching them that the greatest glory is when they do what we want them to do and we should praise them and glorify them? I'm not saying anything about praying. There's nothing wrong with with encouraging your children and, and honoring them when they work hard to achieve something. But we can't do one thing one way and say that it's not okay to do it here, but it is okay to do it here. We've got to be stable and we've got to be the same to do whatever God calls us to do, however he calls us to do it. Guys, listen, we need to be seen worshiping. Men and women alike, but especially our men. We need to be seen worshiping. And I don't care what it looks like, but it's got to look like something. It doesn't have to look like Richard. Everybody's not like him. You know what I love about him? He's the same at Walmart as he is in the altar. I love that that's his heart is to worship God no matter where he is. And I don't want to be like him. I want to be like Jesus. But he's that's what's best for him. I've got to find out what's best for me and be obedient to it. We need to be seen worshiping. The best thing we could ever do for our children is not just love their mothers, but it's worship their God in spirit and in truth. To worship Him in honor and in integrity, with authenticity, but with obedience. I don't want my son to think that worship is for women. I want him to know that it is the best thing that he can do as a child of God, but because before he was ever a man of God, he was just a son of God. Worship is part of my relationship with Jesus. Worship is part of my relationship with Jesus. Look, when it comes to my wife, and, and she's, I mean, she's as, as sweet as a hot sunshine on a, on a Eunice day. I'm talking about she's just precious as the, the gold that I can't even afford. You know what I'm saying? I, just, I love her, okay? But, but she had rarely, if ever, I was trying to really think for this message, especially between services, because I wanted to give her credit, but I can't remember a single time that she ever gave me credit for just thinking of something. <laughs> like, when it comes to, to true, authentic relationship, it ain't the thought that counts, y'all. <laughs> not too long ago, I was at the house. It was just me there with the kids, and I don't even know how that happens. That's not supposed to be the way it's supposed to be, but it was that day, and so I was embracing the storm, and, and we were having a good time together, and I thought, I thought about emptying the dishwasher. It was right there. They were clean. They were ready to be put in the cabinets. I thought about it. And then I forgot because I started doing something else. Attending to a kid or somebody pooped or I don't know what was going on, but I forgot. And I walked away. And she came back home, and I mean within five minutes of her being back home, she was over at the dishwasher unloading the dishes. And I said, oh, man, I thought about that. When you were gone, I thought about unloading that. I am so sorry. She didn't go, oh, but she didn't put that dish down. I'd take her apron off and say, come here, good boy. I'm so glad you thought of me. And then just bless me for my thought process. No, she kept cleaning the dishes. She took care of what I didn't take care of. Even though I thought about it, the thought does not count. There has to be an expression. There has to be a follow through. There has to be some obedience applied to the thought process. And no matter how good your heart is or how well you intended for it to be, there's got to be something expressed. You know who does not want you to express your love? Satan. You know what's wrong with this generation? They're fatherless. What's wrong with this generation is not that they're millennials and they're self-absorbed and they're selfish. It's not their fault. It's that they're fatherless. It's because the fathers, the men, did not express love, did not express concern. Now, listen, I'm not talking about raising sissies, man. I kick my son. I mean, I, sometimes I just push him just to remind him he's a boy. Like, if I wanted you to act like a girl, I'd let your hair grow out even longer. But I keep it short for a reason, boy. We're not going to cry and act like a little baby girl. Toughen up. You okay? There ain't no blood. There ain't no crying. You're good, man. But at the same time, I want to hold him. I want to love him. 
I want to care for him. I want to show him that nurturing is not just something that comes from his mama. That expressing love is not just something that comes from a woman. But it comes from somebody who has been delivered and set free in the name of Jesus. And if I know God and God is love, then I should look like the God that I say that I know. And I will express my love. Satan does not want you to express your love. Satan's greatest desire is to keep us from worshiping God. To keep us from expressing love to our spouse. Love to our children. Love to his church, the bride. I say this often, but you can't say that you love Jesus and not love his spouse. You can't say that you love Jesus and not love his bride, the church. We have to express, number three, what will be Satan's greatest desire? What will be? In the book of Exodus chapter 14, we see that the children of Israel would walk through the Red Sea that had been parted on their behalf. And when they get to the other side of the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15, we see a song and it's called the Song of Miriam. And Miriam's song, down in verse 11, it goes just very simply, says, Who is like our God? Who is like our God? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Who is like our God? I love that because it's an expression of praise that was meant only for our God. But Revelation chapter 13, verse 4 The Apostle John received a revelation about the last days. And verse 4 says, they worship the dragon. And we know that according to Revelation 12, 9, that the dragon was Satan. But they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Watch this. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Revelation chapter 17, verse 13, says these are of one mind. And they will give their power and authority to the beast. Just like Adam did in the Garden of Eden. He gave away the power and the authority and the dominion that God created for him and his bride to have. He handed it over to the beast, to the serpent, because he followed him instead of following Jesus. These are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who he says I am. It's why I can't keep my hands in my pocket. It's why I can't just look around and watch other people worship. When I start singing a song about what God created me to be in my redeemed form, not in my Adamic form, not in my satanic form, but in the form of redemption that he purchased for me on Calvary, I remember that it's by the blood of the Lamb that I will overcome and the word of my testimony because he is Lord of lords and king of the kings and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful now imagine with me just per se Miriam's song is being sung in the heavens who is like our God and who is like his glorious holiness who is like our God who is like you Glorious in holiness. Who is like our God and who is like you? And then all of a sudden, the book of Revelation comes to life. And it's the same tune, but somebody changed the words. Often, if we're not careful, we can be singing the same tune. We can look like what we're supposed to look like, but there's some of the details in the wording that we have adjusted and adapted to the culture around us or the people around us instead of being like the one that spoke his word over us from the very beginning. And instead of hearing who is like our God, who is like you, glorious in holiness, all of a sudden heaven hears who is like the beast. And Jesus is like, whoa, hang on. 
And now picture with me little Gabriel. Okay, my little Gabriel. Fluffy-headed, little crazy boy with more energy than he should have. That's why we named him what we named him, because Gabriel means messenger, and then we made his middle name Rayan, which means favored by God. So my son's name means messenger favored by God. No pressure. (laughs) Good luck with that. We'll do our best to raise him into it. But little Gabriel, and if you will, just Gabriel is, is there with Jesus, not my Gabriel, but the angel Gabriel. But just consider the personality. And Jesus, hearing the song that was written in the book of Exodus in chapter 15, who is like our God and who is like you, glorious in holiness, who is like the beast, Jesus says to Gabriel, hey, what'd they just say? And Gabriel says, they said, who is like the beast? They didn't say God. They were supposed to say God, but they didn't say God. They said the beast instead of you. Did you hear them? They said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do something about it? They shouldn't be saying that. That's not how that song goes. They shouldn't be living that way. They shouldn't be talking that way. They shouldn't be sharing that with that crowd. They shouldn't be in that place. They shouldn't be acting like that. They shouldn't be using what you established in them to glorify themselves alone. What do you want me to do about it? Jesus says, Gabriel, get my sword. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, the apostle John says, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judged and made war. You want to know who is like the beast and who can make war with the beast? It's the one that's coming on a white horse whose name is faithful and true. You want to know who we should be worshiping? It's the one that's coming on a white horse whose name is faithful and true and because he called my name, I am who he says I am and I can do what he's created created me to do his righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no one knew except himself listen to me friend there are still songs to be written in your life that is the worship that God created for you and you alone it's something that he wants to share with you as you discover who he is and what his purpose was in you there's still a song to be written that only He knows and that only He can share with you. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and His name called the Word of God. The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him on white horses. Now out of His mouth goes a sharp sword that with it He should strike the nations and He Himself will rule with a rod of iron. He Himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And He had on His robe and on His thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords you remember satan was covered with precious stones in revelation chapter 21 it says that the bride will return from heaven with jesus and that bride will be covered with precious stones just like lucifer was created with you remember in the beginning when I was reading from Isaiah 14 verse 11 and I said that that Lucifer had stringed instruments created in him and then the book of Ezekiel we saw that Lucifer was created with timbrels and pipes that he was created with percussion instruments that he was created with wind instruments in the very beginning Lucifer before it ever happened on earth it happened in heaven Lucifer began to take the glory of God and use it on himself. Today, we have cords in our throat called vocal cords. And when wind passes over those vocal cords, it makes a sound that's heard in the heavens. Today, we have feet in order to dance with and hands that we can clap with we were created in the image and for the glory of God at creation perhaps Lucifer would look at the God that created him and say who is going to lead worship for you now who's going to do it now you kick me out I was perfect I had the stones I reflected your light I had the stringed instruments. I had the percussion. I had the wind. I was the breath of God. What are you going to do now? And God walked over to the dirt. And he began to form in his image and likeness. 
with vocal cords, with percussion instruments. And that dirt body was given the breath of God, which is the Spirit of God, and came to life. And the wind of God entered into man. And God said, I don't need you. I'll use the dirt. I'll use the dust. That's why when Jesus says in the New Testament, if you don't worship God, even the rocks are going to cry out. Because if he's used dirt before, he can use dirt again. And somebody is going to worship God in spirit and truth. Somebody is going to bring glory to God. But there was a problem. The dust followed the devil. The dust decided to be disobedient. The dust decided God didn't really say that. It's not really what he meant. He didn't need all that. It's not really what he wants. And so the dust handed back the dominion to the devil. So God became dust in the place of the disobedient. And the Bible says that Jesus made himself a little lower than the angels. And he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Because he wanted to give the dominion back to the dust that he created it for. We are God's answer to worship in heaven and on the earth. We were created in his likeness and for his glory. What's Satan's greatest desire? What will be Satan's greatest desire? The same thing that it was and the same thing that it's always been to keep us from worshiping God. But when we lift up holy hands, we lift up our hearts. When we open our mouths and give Him glory, we give what we were created to give. We give the breath of God back to the God that gave it to us. For we are His children. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, I don't know where you are relationally with Jesus. But when we praise Him, even in the midst of our storms, when we worship Him, even in the midst of our struggle, when we surrender to Him, even when we were sinning yesterday, we begin the process of regaining what we were created for. So I don't know where you are today, but I can tell you He's still Father to the fatherless, and He's still faithful and just to forgive if we'll just confess. So if you're in this room this morning and you have not received Jesus as your Savior, if you have not received forgiveness for your sin, or maybe you have, and for whatever reason you've drifted away, for whatever reason you know last week you were not following Him, you were not using your abilities to glorify God, but to glorify yourself, and today you want to make it right before you leave here. If that's for you, we're going to say a prayer in just a minute. And if you want to be included in that prayer, I just want you to lift your hand right where you are. Say, Chris, that's me. I need to make this right. Thank you. Thank you. I need to receive Jesus today. I want to get back on track or I want to get on track at all. I see you. Thank you. Anybody else? I see you. I see you. Thank you. Maybe you've been in this thing for a long time. Maybe you haven't been in it long enough. I just want to receive Jesus today. I want to receive forgiveness today. I want to leave this place in right relationship with God. Anybody else? Church, can I ask you a question? I know you've given your life to Jesus and you've done this maybe even more than once and you don't have to ask him into your heart over and over and over again. You just need to give him your life. But if your truth were to be told, he doesn't have everything that you have to offer. There's still some area in your time, in your talent, or in your treasure that you're still holding for yourself. And you really spend more time building your own kingdom than you do being used to build his. And today you want to make that right. You say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be used for his glory. I want to be used to build his kingdom. I want God to have everything that he's given me. And I don't want to hold anything back. If I'm talking to you, just lift your hand right where you are. Hands going up all over the room. I'm included in this one. Man, I don't want to build my own thing. I want to build what God desires. 
Church, would you pray this prayer with me right where you sit? Pray it out loud with all of your heart. Jesus, forgive me for all the times that I used your gifts on myself. The times I was selfish. The times that I didn't serve you or the people you put in front of me. Save me. Use me for your kingdom. Take my life. Make it yours. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you believe in that prayer, would you stand right where you are and give him praise in his house? Come on, can we put our hands together in his sanctuary? Shout unto God with cries of joy. Can we bless the Lord and all that is within me? Let everything that has breath. Telling you, the most fun I've had has been serving Jesus. Because it doesn't matter how much fun I might have had, I always had to wake up and face the consequences. But when I serve Him, I'm fulfilled. I know it's, it feels like right here we should have just this incredible worship service and continue on for however long we can hold out for lunch. But here's what I want you to do instead. I want you to take what you've heard and I want you to go home and fix something. I want you to go home and make an adjustment. Come back on Wednesday, we'll worship together again. Come back next Sunday, we'll worship together again. But go home this afternoon and be who you were supposed to be in your house. Go to work tomorrow and be who God created you to be. Created in His image and His likeness for His glory is not dependent upon being in the sanctuary. He can put you anywhere. He can put you in the desert alone and you'll still reflect the glory of God. Take this with you. Make the necessary adjustments and worship Him, not just in a worship set, but with everything that you are every day in every way. Father, I thank you for this day. I bless your people and I ask that you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift up your countenance and give a peace that only comes in your presence. I pray that Holy Spirit, you would come in and fill our hearts, our lives, our temple that is within us with your spirit and your presence, that we would be an example for you and not an excuse. Would you anoint us to accomplish your will and to walk in your ways and achieve the vision that you have given this place to meet people, grow closer to you together, serve the people that you put in our path, and impact eternities for the sake of your kingdom. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for being with us this morning. Meet somebody that you don't know before.